the thing that made me a driven man that makes that makes us product productive and providers and things that most men say they want to be regardless of whatever's happening in society. It's the same thing that will kill you. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from your kids. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from your family. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from living your own life and experiencing a little piece of happiness on the back end. I know because I'm in Thailand with retired men that are 70 plus wishing that they retired when they were young like me, but they're about to die in 20 years. It gets real once you're in the last 20. Right. Mm-hmm. And so net net a part of health is understanding that you need to acquire resources. Don't let people downplay it and call it money and capital and money ain't everything. That's nonsense. Most people leave their families every day to go chase money. Money's very important, but I call it resources. Welcome to another episode of Executive Health and Life. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again, where the goal is to, of course, make you the CEO of your health and your life. And today I have a very interesting guest, a fascinating guest who has a very diverse and interesting background and it's um, a guy I came across who is one of the best minds I've come across in a while. And some of the things we're going to talk about, actually, I'm going to save that. I'm going to just give you some of the things that he's done so far that I've found that he's done. <laughs> and I'm sure there's more surprises. So first and foremost, he's a decorated veteran. So thank you for your service. Um, I see top secret security clearance, accredited investor, a laundry list of other awards that we don't even need to go into. Uh, save people. There's NGOs, foreign dignitaries, shaking the hands of a president twice, uh, shaking the hands, of course, of first ladies, many congressmen. He's a diplomat. He saved children, dealt with human trafficking, and I'm sure there's much more. But I'm going to go ahead and get into this. I'm talking with none other than Sean Bird. How are you doing this evening? Because I know you are in Thailand. How's it going? Yes, sir. Doing good. How about yourself? Man, it's doing good. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful day in Nashville, beautiful morning. It's getting ready to be hot here again. So got my cup of tea, and this is the first thing I'm doing this morning. So it's all good. It's a good way to start off the day. It yeah. is. It is. It is. I'm going to, as you like to say, hotwire my mind. Oh, bars. Okay, got yeah. you. <laughs> so I like to always start off with an origin story a little bit, and then we'll kind of work into the present and other topics. So... Looking back now, what do you think are maybe, say, two to three lessons from childhood that shaped you into who you are today? Oh, got it. Nice question. Uh, So first one would be life ain't easy. Second one is it could always be worse. And the third one is accountability. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, honesty to yourself about who you are, where you're at, and where you need to go. And so, go ahead. Yeah, did you always have those, um, when did those lessons kind of sink in from your childhood? As I went along, as I learned lessons, um, as I was always observant of other people's situations and circumstances, and I always compared them to mine. And... that allowed me to kind of have that um, perspective. And then, like I said, at the end, right, um, circling out in accountability, I was just honest with myself for some reason. I don't know quite why, the why to it, but I was just like, okay, look, <laughs> you're going out of high school. You ain't got no discipline. Stop lying. 
you're not ready for college. You, you don't got no money. Your mama ain't got no money. Like, be honest, right? Um, nobody owes you nothing. Um, so net net, what are you going to do here? And so I'm not a man. Um, at that point, that's what I told myself. I told myself, um, I didn't have good habits with other men, meaning like couldn't look them in the eye, couldn't hold massive long conversations with them. So I knew my faults and I knew the military at least was going to help uh, fulfill those and kind of give me the tools that I needed to move forward. Hmm. See, you're the first person where I've I've heard like at that age <laughs> to tell yourself that you're not that you're not man enough, right? Usually somebody needs to tell you that. And you just told yourself that. That's a I think that's that's something very unique that just happened. That's very that's not common at all. And um so you go to the military and what's your initial thoughts in the military? You're seeking discipline first and foremost, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any other expectations of the military? Camaraderie, uh, definitely stepping stone. I knew it was a way to test myself. And like I said, you know, once he put those three things, you know, he had these, all these little pieces, like kind of like you could say puzzle pieces, but they weren't really puzzle pieces. They were just like wooden things. Mm-hmm. And they said like travel, education, and all these other sort of things. And I remember Key that I took travel and education. He was like, only three of them. And I took travel and education. And there was something else I can't remember. And I put those together and I was like, this is what I want from the military, basically. And he was just like, okay, you're going to get it. You're just going to have to work for it. And I was like, when, where, why, and how? Let's get it. <laughs> right. And so, um, yeah, you know, I talked to a few SEALs before, uh, luckily, and I always like to ask military people, so how was it after transitioning back into the civilian world? After service? Yes. Mm, I don't think I did for a while because I was like, these civilians always would talk like in this type of, uh, in this type of manner. And, you know, Marine Corps, once a Marine, always a Marine. So I had that with me even after I got out. And so net net transitioning was pretty much smooth, but it, it kind of put me in a position where I was like, I seen a lot, I done a lot, experienced a lot. And so I was like years ahead of the competition from, mm-hmm. from my perspective at the time. Yeah. Cause I know sometimes I hear that one of the biggest things is, um, and you've mentioned this a lot of times already, the camaraderie that this in the civilian world there's really not this just brotherhood, camaraderie, togetherness, or teamwork. You know, it's it's a doggy dog yeah. world. Everyone's for themselves. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and even if you live in a fraternity, no disrespect to those, mm-hmm. I think they're amazing vehicles. But it's not quite the same because in college, what's your motivation, right? Past school, probably talk to girls, and that's your life in college and party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the military, it's about your life. Right. You know, whether it's saving it, if you're downrange in theater or whether you're serving a country or serving whatever the mission is. And so you have camaraderie just like a fraternity, but it's about something way more bigger than kind of us just hard five snake eyes or whatever. That was (laughs) (laughs) no disrespect to them. Shout out to the fraternity. But net net, I I don't think they would compare it to service to the country. So net net. It was a little bit a different camaraderie, and uh, it was, I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah, but I yeah, went to definitely I, not in the civilian world. 
I went to some of those. I went to some of those parties at first, like the, the first year or so, because mm-hmm. you know they, they try to get you to pledge and and all that stuff. And I was like, no, nah, this is a little too much for me. So I'm, I'm, I was a late bloomer with with all that kind of nightlife stuff. You know, I was I was a yeah. I was the guy. I went to use bookstores and started getting anatomy books and started teaching myself a lot about health and all that kind of stuff. And That's stuff. good. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so yeah, I went to those parties and they were. Good for them, you know. My, you know, my one of my friends pledged and all that, but um, you know, I just had a flashback when you did that, you know, <laughs> in your face, in yeah. your face, yeah, yeah. right. So, they would always do it at the party, like, yo, put back on the good song, yeah, <gasps> like, god dang, man. So, here yeah. they come. I never I, seen it actually because I was never in college, but. Yeah. Yeah, just see it from the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because then I, because I have a like a, I think I have an uncle. I forgot which one he's, which fraternity he's in. And so uh, even now they'll they'll still go to some parties and they'll start stepping in, you know. And then some of the, the the, the messing um, up my floors, the sororities they're doing. Yeah, you know. So the only dancing, like I said, is I do a little salsa, bachata, kizomba, and that go. kind of stuff, you know. But that's a, that's about it. That's you good. Know? At least you ain't scuffing nobody's floors up. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I had I had two, I had two left feet for a long time when it came to dancing, oh, and go. so that, I just yeah. I needed to challenge myself. So, mm-hmm. but um, we're gonna go back to a little bit to the military just to describe your experiences there. I'm sure there's some interesting things there. And do you remember your first assignment or the first country you went to? Country, Iraq. So you got thrown straight right out the today. gate. Get some. yeah. yeah. I was- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Iraq. Maybe wow. I was in the fleet for maybe about no more than six months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in you got fleet. thrown. You got thrown right yeah. into the fire. Yeah, right into the sand. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suspect during that time, because we're pretty much we're similar age, that um, I'm trying to think. Let's see, was it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were right. Were right. Things were going on. When, yeah, it was scaling up. Yeah, it wasn't as. <clears throat> You know, when we were leaving, there was uh, kind of like solidifying and, you know, I guess you're fortifying, fortifying uh, the the base that we were at, mm-hmm. putting T-walls and concrete walls. But when we went initially, there were just sandbags called HESCOs. And, uh, you know, we flew in, did the job. Um, definitely, you know, spent like six months, but I was super gun hope. Boot camp really didn't good at hot wire in my mind at least <laughs> and so i i went like yeah all right i'm gonna be a marine this is cool see you guys joking and then my friends were like you came back like i'm a marine and so you know programming worked and so when i went to the fleet i was like god they were like oh man we're gonna have to find somebody who wants to do a detachment and that's basically like i was a warehouse clerk but they had like other billets other open positions to go down range. And I was in California with a bunch of black folks. They were like, I'm not fighting no war. <laughs> and so I was like one of the only crazy ones. Like, y'all want to fight war? I played Halo when I was growing up. <laughs> and so net net, they were like, you do? And they signed me up with the quickness. And so then I had to do training, convoy training, 29 Palms and all this other stuff and preparation for deployment. So I didn't deploy with the supply guys. I deployed with the MPs, which we would do convoys from base to base, you know, cargo, personnel, currency, just moving all different types of packages. And yeah, so I was super gun hole and I wanted to get some. And so that put me down a different path. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I imagine you're not too many people are just, you know, like I said, especially at that age again, that are just like, hey, send send me to do this. Because, you know, some people are forced in there. Some people, it's the last resort. And not you know, not people are just like, I'm ready to yeah. go. This is what I some, want. Some guys just got a girl pregnant. And they're like, look, yeah. I got to get my life right. I got a kid on the way. <laughs> yeah. So, or they're looking for education, right? Because I know they mm-hmm. take care of, they take care of, good educational benefits and all that good stuff. So for yeah. people who couldn't afford college or didn't get a scholarship. So that's an option as well. Mm-hmm. So how do you, uh, and so as you're going through the military throughout the years and um, uh, with your awards and things you've done, did you um, naturally slide into these leaders, leadership positions or did you actively seek these out or was it just your character that just kind of propelled you up to these things? I don't know. I think it's just most of the time I just did all I can do. I wasn't necessarily intentionally at the time being like, I'm going to be better than everybody. I didn't have that mentality. It was just a mentality of I'm going to do my best. And it just happened that it was other people didn't always do that for themselves. And so it was the thing of me standing out. Right. And always just wanted to do good at whatever I was doing. So whether I was you know, being a supply clerk on hand at the embassies or being, the, you know, a tactical instructor and kind of training all the Marines and then kind of getting them prepared with training and exercise and training the embassy and uh, foreign military and also security services of about our security planes, building them out. As I did all that stuff, I was just doing it because I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I was a soldier and I was not only just like a regular soldier, when I was back in the rear with the gear, as we say, but when I was deployed at the embassy, I was a diplomat, you know, and it was just fun to me. And so I enjoyed it. So I did it to my best abilities. And it so happened that those in positions decided to put me in positions of leadership, positions of, uh, you know, authority, uh, just because my performance was there. So what does a diplomat do? I have an idea well, dip- in my head. I have an idea in my yeah. head and things I've seen on TV, but I'm just curious. <laughs> well, diplomat, it's not necessarily like what we think and we see on TV. Mm-hmm. You see people and they might work from some organization. Um, there's many in the U.S. military, excuse me, U.S. government. And they could be like, of course, somebody from UNIF or, or UNICEF, excuse me, somebody from uh, USAID, somebody that's FBI, somebody's at DEA. And so all these different government agencies that happen to work overseas, right, at an embassy or a facility that's supported by the Department of State, they follow under diplomats. They can be military. They can be, like I said, political econ. And the people you most likely know is the political guys. Those are foreign mm-hmm. service officers. And those are like the on the front page, we represent the embassy. We're diplomats. But everybody, even the military guys, the DEA and FBI, they become status of a diplomat by being connected to the embassy, regardless of the actual organization. But they all fundle under the umbrella of the Department of State. And so America does a lot of things when it's overseas deployed in the embassy function, not just hand out visas for the locals. They do massive amounts of things from, like I said, like catching. Uh, you know, international drug lords and et cetera. So these people need to be in embassies. And once they work in this type of billet or responsibility, they become diplomats. Okay. So, um, so the human trafficking, and I know this is probably 
listeners thinking it's like human trafficking on this podcast but you know we're going somewhere with we're going we're all going somewhere with this uh this this <laughs> and so um <laughs> um how'd you get involved with that just wanted to you know uh, i was a big softy big humanist at heart always been in a lot of ways so net, net, especially after my tour at iraq i felt as i had to pay it back or pay it forward and so net net <clears throat> It was a, something that was there as an organization, not directly to attach to the embassy in any shape, form, or fashion. And it was just something I wanted to work with. And, you know, it's one thing Americans think of human trafficking and our cases in America are very minor. But when you look on a global scale, they're enough to make people not be able to sleep at night. And so nobody's ever seen, you know, a red light district with over, you know, hundreds of let's say prostitutes or human traffic kids mm-hmm. under the age of 13, 12, 11 and boys and girls. And it's open right, right out there in, on front street. Right. And so, <clears throat> and even if the police found these girls or the boys inside these facilities, they all get paid off with bribes. Okay. So it's never that deep in America. You know, we kind of assume stuff like that, like, oh man, on this island, people get together. Like it's an idea, <laughs> like we'll say that in America, but in, in the world, in different countries, it really happens. And it's like blatant right there on the street. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So I bring up points like this because a lot of times and, you know, this whole thing is about, you know, your YouTube channel, which I don't think I mentioned is obstacles to opportunities. And all of us are going to have obstacles. We'll be going through obstacles, you know, whether that's what various stages in your business, whether that's rising corporate ranks to get to C-suite, whether that's taking care of health issue, losing weight, et cetera, and et cetera. And a lot of these things can also be opportunities. They can be lessons and perspectives that we can gain that we can then leverage and use to work on that very that very goal that we're going after. And so, um, let's see. The next thing is the um, congressman. So, when you met presidents and congressmen and first ladies, et cetera, did you get to have a conversation with them? Yeah, but really generic. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? How's your mom for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Christmas, or whatever? You know, ah, ha, 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 ha. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Nothing like, hey, so the latest policy that you passed in, you know, <laughs> n- nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like, you know, me and Obama, yeah. OBZ didn't crack open a beer and be like, man, what's going on, man? Tell me, tell me how the presidency was. Yeah. So it's nothing like that, but it was a shake of the hand and maybe a different question here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I know when we, we connected a little bit last week before today, and um, I know we went, we we're going to talk about health and like PTSD and all that. Mm-hmm. Cause I know a lot of um, veterans come out and they have a little, a little or major severe on the spectrum when it comes mm-hmm. to PTSD. So um, would you like to go into a little bit of your experience? Yeah. I mean, it didn't hit. Well, when I came back from Iraq or when we were coming back, it's different time back in 2006, seven. And it's not as bad as it was like in Vietnam or something, mm-hmm. but you know, they were looking out for us, meaning the higher ups. So they were just like, hey, guys, be careful. Civilian sector doesn't translate well to PTSD. Right. And so there was no this, you know, what it is now today where people's like, oh, it's OK. You get bonus points and get hired or something like this. Um, It was more so like, OK, never mind. You ain't working here. <laughs> and so with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, they just told us, like, 
don't talk to the psych. You know, tell them no and everything. Even if you feel something, don't. Because they didn't want us to ruin the rest of our lives and be stigmatized in a way. Yeah. And so that's how I did it. Did it, left, kept going, you know? Everything that I picked up over the years, not only just from Iraq, but also when I worked as a diplomat, it was things I picked up there because, you know, we have to be on surveillance 24-7 on and off duty in foreign territory, right? With not a lot of reinforcements. It's not like, you know, in the battlefield. And so uh, there's espionage and all different clandestine things going on on that side of the house. And so you have to be prepared, trained, and then kind of, you know, do that in your daily interactions with all people. Don't get honey trapped out here, you know? Mm -hmm. Even the girl might be questionable, you know? <laughs> she might be trying to honey trap you. You know honey trap? Uh, I, I've heard it briefly, but you, you can explain it. <clears throat> it's just a honey trap. It, it could be a girl or a guy, uh, depending on the target, right? Mm -hmm. And what the target likes. <laughs> but net, net, it's just like somebody who can be involved with you on the social or romantic side, and then they're utilizing honey. They give you the honey, and yeah. it's a trap, and they trap you to kind of siphon out information and et cetera. Okay. So everybody's, you know, free game. Um, I, have, so, I, I have seen that on movies a lot. I yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you usually see it with the guy and then the girl, it, yeah. and then she's like a double agent or something, yeah. something, something like that. So net, net, that's what you always have to be, you know, on the swivel about, and some other things. And so net, net, when I got out, I thought I was good. I was like, no problem, you know. This is how I'm wired, you know what I'm saying? Lock the doors, knife by the bed, let's go. I'm, I'm prepared for the worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny, as girls that I had over the years, I can laugh about it now, but mm -hmm. girls I had over the years, they would be like, oh, man, you know, when I first started dating you, I saw a knife by the bed. I was like, yo, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> and then I would have, like, plastic bags covering up the window. And she'd be like, what's going on? Is he going to murder me, you know? <laughs> so, but the plastic bags was to keep the light out. But in combination with the two, it looked kind of suspect. <laughs> and... um I was like, well, you're crazy. You stayed. So, but net, net, <clears throat> after that, it was until the pandemic. And, you know, my battle buddy, he passed away. And it was, that's when a lot of shit, stuff surfaced after that. And so then I had to deal with that. And so that was a journey in itself, which uh, really had massive effects on me from all the way down to IBS. Um, you know, GERD and all these other secondary issues that come up when you have this type of level of anxieties and panic attacks and things of this nature. And so, <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the things I would like to say, even if any veterans are seeing, is one thing, you know, you can go to the VA in America, but um, the U.S. government has built out a good system where even veterans who are overseas in places like Colombia and Germany and Australia, they can tap into foreign uh, kind of medical facilities that are supported by the VA and they will provide you the same support for veterans who are retired overseas to, in foreign countries. And so net net, I was able to connect touch bases with an operation down in Columbia, Columbia, the country, and uh, they were really helpful. It was like a private kind of medical facility that was of course paid by the VA. Um, so I was able to get in, you know, kind of one-on-ones with a psychologist, sociologist, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and then we just worked towards a plan you know and uh shout out to andrew tate he helped a little bit though he wasn't talking about guys with ptsd he did have a lot of good motivation for people who were going through depression but i just applied it to me even though you know he wasn't like i ain't talking about veterans though 
but then, then I was like, I could still use the information. <laughs> so that and just doing hard work and kind of, you know, just going through the fire and just reworking, uprooting stuff, digging it out and then kind of dealing with it versus kind of just moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I would say this year has been and plus the year before it's been very positive, been up on the upswing. Uh, things start coming in. And uh, yeah, but it was a difficult time. Difficult, especially with the pandemic. Everybody had issues mentally. Mm-hmm. So I'm a veteran trying to get in. I'm like, yo, I've been to con, da, da, da. And they're like, yeah, but somebody's really dealing with depression because they're locked in the house during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we can't see you. I'm like, what the hell? So <laughs> that was going on, right? And so <clears throat> it was a lot. But then that shout outs to the VA. They really was uh, able to kick it in gear and help me out. Yeah, I always say during the pandemic, <clears throat> all it's all 7.8 billion people. However, I think that's the number of people right now. I might be overestimating a little bit, but every person has a story about the pandemic and and like what they were going through, what they went through, what happened during that time. Everybody has a story. It's probably like if you want a conversation starter, um, you could probably mm-hmm. talk about the pandemic and what happened and the things you did, <clears throat> things you learned, how'd you grow. For most people, some people still may be a little sensitive about it, but for the most mm-hmm. part, everyone has a story to tell when it comes to that. Yeah, right. But <clears throat> that's how it went down. It, it just happened abruptly after mm-hmm. I had the news. And then, you know, I had to go to hospital. And then, you know, uh, it was just a regular private, like, you know, civilian hospital. And then uh, they were like, oh, man, nothing's wrong with you. And then I was like, I ain't dying in this hospital. And then I was running around like I thought the nurses were trying to take me out. I don't know what was going on, but they were like, they were just looking at me like, what the <laughs> heck? And then I was like, I ain't going out with my ass, with my butt out in uh-huh. a you know, hospital gown sitting in the hospital. I was like, you know, I, I went to war. I'm not going out like this. I'm going to go out swinging in the air in front of the hospital. I don't know. That was just what was going on in my mind. And then the lady was like, I think you got problems. I think you need to go see somebody. You got PTSD. And then I was like, what? Man, you better get out of my face with that type of stuff. Right. And then I was like, maybe she's right. And then uh, that's when I started dealing with it. So, you know, so as we start to transition out of there, um, mm-hmm. probably one of the things I guess that you're known for now, most a lot of times is uh, your real estate talk and how'd you and investing in general. How'd you, um, how'd you first get um into investing <clears throat> investing i got in it early not early let me stop I, I mean like i was investing brokerage account i talked to a financial advisor pretty simple at my bank actually and then uh they were like yeah we closed it you're going with td ameritrade i was like what the heck who are they and they're like yeah we closed that division i'm like i don't have a say where, where my money's going to my portfolio <clears throat> they were like yeah it's being turned over you know da 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 and they didn't like me too much because I opened and closed the brokerage account like 20 times when the market was like shaking. I was like, hello, let me sell, let me sell. And they're like, man, I told you, Sean, don't sell. And then I was like, I was the punk at the beginning. And so <clears throat> that's how I first started investing, right? It was just a managed portfolio. I didn't know much about markets, you know, PE and all this other stuff. 
And so I just took allocated the initial funds, which was like, you know, 25, 50. And then every month just contributed 500 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I just watched it. I looked at the, I'm like, well, look at these guys, man. They moving money around, picking up $8 over here, seven, eight, nine, ten. I was like, this is ridiculous. They're just moving money in the digital world, collecting up money and all this other stuff. I'm like, what are they doing? And my financial advisor would explain it to me. Because he'll be laughing like, all right, this is what we're doing. And this is what they're doing because he wasn't actively managing it. And then that's how I got introduced to investing. Real estate was a different phase in my life. Mm-hmm. And so um, so the, uh, <laughs> I just found that funny. Well, actually, I would say you were still early, probably by most people's books. Because you were in your 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 25, yeah. something like yeah. this. I, <clears throat> that wasn't on my radar at all in my 20s. Yeah. No. No. Mm-mm. No. I'm a I'm a late 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 bloomer when it comes to like what investing. were you thinking about at 25? Jesus. <laughs> Taco Bell. Like what? Uh, let's see. About 25, 26. It's um medical school. Yeah. So medical school mm, at that time. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah. So it's just. But even then, I was in New York. And so coming from Nashville, it's a big, it's a big difference in terms of the environment. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really been exposed to that type of environment, that sort of access to whatever I wanted. And um, mm-hmm. I took advantage of it. <laughs> true. So, yeah. So I, I had fun. I had fun yeah, and, wasted, true. Wasted, and wasted a lot of money. And, there you go. Because I just figured that, you know, down the line that, you know, when I get done with school, I'll, I'll be making money anyway. So, you know, this is what is it get it out of the way yeah yes lolo yellow you only live once yeah yeah let's just let's just do that but no um the amount i look back one time the amount i spent on some things and i was like that's a property that's probably two properties (sighs) some apple stock some tesla yeah yeah. all that so um i might i might have been off the grid right now i might have been in monaco right now you know right yeah But uh, but anyway, we as we said earlier though, those are things we learned from. And actually, if you have all that success, I, I tend to think a lot of times that sometimes um, you have to go through those things because you're not ready for the success. So if you were given all the money, given all the amenities and success at that age, would you be able to handle it? My You'd answer be is it on a different level. Yeah, my answer is an emphatically no. I probably would have gotten in trouble or just done stupid things. Yeah, it would have been a Ferrari. Yeah, so because yeah, so because you had the military to, to guide you. I was just going. I was just coasting through school. I was still reckless because the military yeah. never gave me money like that. So once oh. I got civilian, I was like, "What? You <laughs> telling me you're gonna give me eight grand in a month, bro?" So I was wilding. <laughs> I was like, "Somebody to messed up first yeah. year and a half." I saved fifty because I always save fifty regardless, mm-hmm. but the rest of the fifty wiped off the planet. It was it was wilding. I was wilding with that part portion of it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big oh, time. Man. And yeah. I was overseas. So oh yeah, so, so your dog's going even further each time. So yeah. You, so you, so you yeah. know I spent a lot. I didn't even have to spend that much when I'm yeah. overseas. Yeah, and your experiences are even magnified because probably the top echelon crazy experience that you could do in America is probably what a tenth of the price overseas most places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was coming to Thailand, spending six hundred a day. That's hard wild. to do. It's super hard in Thailand. Super hard. 
Yeah, that's I'm really like, hard. That's everybody really hard. drinks on me. I'm <laughs> balling out of control. <laughs> so, um, so let's see. Let's. See. That's a good segment actually, because you're in Thailand right now, and um, and you, you, and a lot of your videos are about the importance of just your life, and and everybody will hear that and say, of course, your life's important, but really and truly, like really kind of designing your life to what you want, no matter what is society's or other people's expectations of you. So um, did you, when did you get to the point that you know exactly what you wanted out of life in terms of like how you wanted to design your life and everything? Uh, maybe like 20, 27, 28, because at that point I was like, Bev, I'm working and I'm hustling for these cool one month vacations and this ain't it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw older people so the dude like, hey, man, I just got back from the DR. We was going crazy. <laughs> then I'd be like, really? And the dude like seven. And he like, man, let me show you the photos. He flipped through his phone. He showed me all the girls, all the, all the drinks, all the fun he was having. And then he'd be like, you know, something came up like, you know, ah, oh, man, we need to pay for lunch. He like, I ain't got it. I got to ask the company for uh, an advance. I'm like, what, bro? You've been working this job for, you know, got dang 30 years, six figures. What you mean you ain't got it? He like got dang family, party and girls. And I'm like, and the story was the same for everybody. I was like, man, bro, this is, they were either trapped with, with the wife, trapped with the, you know, um, expenses towards family members or devices. It was everybody. Everybody got hit the same way. So if somebody went to espionage with these guys, they could have got them. They all had weaknesses. <laughs> but then, then I was just like, geez, Louise, I don't want to be in the same position. How do I get myself out of this rat wheel? And that's kind of how when I started working towards it. Hmm. You know, if there's one thing um, I've learned a lot already during this talk, but one thing that's stuck in my head now is espionage and like, really assessing myself now and thinking about all my weaknesses and really um, taking care of, uh, taking care of those in case uh, a honey trap comes. Yeah, honey trap will come. <laughs> just, a matter of, just a matter of time. <laughs> you might not be working for a nation state, but you might just yeah. be working for yourself. But yeah. you're going to get honey trap. Yeah. So, yeah, so, watch um, out for the honey. Watch out for the honey trap. I'm pretty sure that that's... that's I would title this Watch Out for the Honey Trap. I don't know how many clicks he'll get. But uh probably somebody be like, ooh, <laughs> I think I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so so you know, so you're so once again you're using other people so other people's experiences is um kind of you're you're taking lessons from that learning uh, mm -hmm. about like it's almost like not they're getting things out of sequence in terms of like life, right? trying to do all these fun it's like trying to get the ferrari in year two of the business when you can reinvest that or when you can put it into different uh investment vehicles just because mm -hmm. you know and not thinking long term mm -hmm. so um sounds funny though those those guys uh, <laughs> yeah, uh i i haven't i haven't met many of i haven't met many of them so uh yeah these are all you got to remember like kind of like you if you would have went through your 
your trials and tribulations yeah. and would have ended up making six figures, right? Mm-hmm. You would probably be a different caliber and different mindset. But these guys had high school diplomas and they were making six figures. Yeah. I'm not saying if you make a high school diploma, you're going to be of this mindset. What I'm saying is they were making six figures, high school diplomas. Then they were overseas in a foreign country. So they were really GMAX in comparison to whatever the local um, kind of economy was. And so net-net, there was a lot of amplifiers they had on that side. Mm -hmm. And so it could set up a stage where you're just like, I'm about to go crazy. And that's net-net what you had going on. Yeah. See, that's why I didn't need that stuff at 25. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't need, I didn't need any of that. I needed to, yeah, right. I needed to go through the fire. Probably my, probably my stuff happened around 30, 31 is when I probably really had my turnaround. 30, 33. That's when life, life got a little more real and serious and, and everything. Mm So, um, so, so you're in Thailand now. Um, you talk about the importance of your life. What are, what do you see a couple of the biggest mistakes that, people make when it comes to um their life in general i know that's a very broad question but kind of just in your experience Woo. i'm kind of hard on the people that's okay <laughs> i'm not i'm not uh what's it called pc yeah politically correct i'm not <clears throat> most of the people are bums and <laughs> straight up and they always somehow, and I, there's multiple reasons, it's a multivariable <laughs> equation, but there's many reasons, but it all comes down to the same road. Mm-hmm. Get the phone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sound like you're in the office and stuff. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> hey, is that a house phone? It's a house phone. Yeah, I haven't heard one of those in the longest, bro. They we're still all, around. We're old school. We're old school over here. Yeah, I'm about to hear the fax machine there, like, eh, 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 like, God dang. <laughs> That's so funny. I haven't heard a house phone in the longest. But net, net, they don't have, like, special tones that you could change the ring? No, I kept the original. <laughs> and so I'm, I, you know, my... It's my, funny because yeah. we're not that far from the past, but it seems like so far in the past when people had house phones. But it's still a real thing. There's some things I don't want to let go. Yeah. yeah. No, nah, that's understandable. House phone's reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> it's very reasonable. It just sounds funny because I've never had one in like years. But um, going back to what we were talking about, most people being bums, right? No, I'm right. Just but <laughs> um, some people, you know, people somehow in their mind, they map out the situation where it's like, you know, villains versus the good doers. Right. Mm-hmm. And then whether they write the script, you know, whether it's them, the good doers or their family or the people. Right. The people, we're the good ones. And I think what happens a lot of times is people just lack comparison. Yeah. Um, they're not really able to. <clears throat> and then these are obvious brain bugs that if you read any book on psychology, um, especially a book on the brain bugs, then you can understand why people are like this. And <clears throat> net, net, they always think like, oh, it's me. I'm the victim. And it's a victim Olympics. And I was like that, too. So don't get me twisted. I was probably one of the gold medalists. Like I was a super big victim, right? Like, so net net, I dig it. I'm not clowning it to the point where I'm like, I can never understand that. No, I understand. Cause like I said, I was the gold medalist, right? I was up there with Muhammad Ali. No, I'm just kidding. So I was very, you know, <laughs> I was involved in it also, but net net, 
Most people just see themselves as a victim in some shape, form, or fashion, and they really just don't have any comparison to really understand the opportunities that are there. And uh, it's all about mind frame, as simple as it might seem or it's not seem, nothing really changed. I remember a guy just recently said on a podcast, he was like, uh, get water and chop wood. And he was like, so before enlightenment, it's get water and chop wood. And then he said, after enlightenment is get water and chop wood. And then you're like, what? What's changed then? And he's like, necessarily with enlightenment, nothing's really changed on external. As far as the world, it's still the same and it goes. But what happens is you changed and your projection of that reality. And you're more, like I said, more leveled out with reality versus your ideas, your ideologies, your, your whatever. Whatever you are on track, whether it's a political leaning, whether it's this and that, we have many different ideas. Once you acclimate yourself to reality and accept reality for what it is, you're able to really get on a path of moving forward. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people are like, I got a family and my family should be like this. And no, they shouldn't. You know, families do some of the worst things on this planet. There is no should. You know, understand? Like life is what it is, you know, and there's reasons for it. But you must understand those reasons. So a lot of people end up getting stuck or not going anywhere is because they're not really attached to reality. They're attached to whatever idea they is have in their head. And uh, I would say, especially in the West, we're, uh, you know, we're descendants, spoiled brats of people who built nations and built industries before us. And so we just live on the laurels of people that came before us and built roads and built infrastructure and built industries out. Right. And then the most we do is software on the, you know, inventions that they built. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're chilling in the time where, you know, nobody does farming, but only in the 1900s. The entire, like 76% of Americans were all in agricultural farming, back-breaking work, working like a mule. Mm-hmm. But now we're like, everybody's chilling. They in the house, AC, lights. And then it's like, most of the world is not like that. And so uh, even if going overseas might not help, because I lived with diplomats and they still had the same programming when they went in and when they left. And so to see the poverty to see the type of lack of opportunities, really, um, if you really are able to take it in and see it from their perspective and really kind of download that experience, and you'll say, how do I change myself after having an experience like that? Most people just get on the plane and be like, oh, I'm American. You know, <laughs> I'm back in America now. <laughs> you know, safe. You know, um, <laughs> but that not... They're like, hey, if they had a democracy, maybe they'll be like us. And they just simplify it. And so it's complicated. Most people, like I said, they're underperformers. And that's nothing new to history. Human history has been like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Most average people never had access to information. And so they got it now in their palm of their hands, but it doesn't mean they got to use it. Mm-hmm. for the purpose of enlightenment, for the purpose of financial security, for the purposes of things that are self-development that you would think most people would want and desire. But most people are like, well, the school didn't teach me and my mama didn't teach me. So you know what? The world is against me and the government. <laughs> They're like, what? So that's that's the, that's how they draw their life out. Mm-hmm. And so most people are underperformers, but that, that that's history. It's nothing against them. Most people are average. And uh, <clears throat> that's all it is. The good news is you can change that. The bad news is you have Super. to. Re- the bad news is you have to really digest that and and uh, kind of just look at yourself in the mirror, confront 
like your inadequacies in the moment. And, but a lot of these are, are it's not quantum physics. I always tell, I always tell people, and people always ask, well, you know, getting into these schools and, and et cetera, these subjects or everything is so difficult. It's like, it's not really, it's just a bunch of information. Like something really difficult is a lot of, like a PhD in mathematics or like quantum physics, those kind of subjects. That's a little, that's a little more difficult. Pretty difficult. Yeah. yeah. But something like, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is difficult. Um, I'm, I'm, t- I'm probably nicer than you in terms of, uh, into, yeah, that's probably my civilian upbringing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm probably a little nicer on people in terms of like, uh, like not getting their things together and, and stuff like that. But the only thing I don't like to hear, I don't like people complaining about it. So if, 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 if you're, so like, say a person is overweight, I, it's whatever. I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm not trying to save the world, uh, you know, even though it's, it's what I do, but it's not I'm more of an anti-hero. And so if, um, but if I hear someone complain about being overweight and they're not doing anything, that's when I think that that's when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I, when I probably take on your tone, take on your tone a little more. Yeah. I take it from the rip. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, and, and it's cool just because, you know, I think everybody, you know, whether it's aggressive, like someone could label mine's message and, and more of passive, but neutral like yours, it's all good because the audience is vastly different and everybody's mm-hmm. going to need a message delivered to them in a particular way. If we all went neutral, then we might not have the same effect as all of us coming in different types of levels, the way people are ready to perceive it or accept it. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I say that working in an embassy um, was vastly different because no matter if somebody was the DEA or military or the Peace Corps, they all went to lunch together. They all ate together. And you're like, how is that so? Aren't mm-hmm. there missions like contradictory? Like, isn't one about peace and one is about selling guns? Like, how does that make sense? How are they friends? How is Tom and Larry going in like, yeah, man, I just sold me some F-150s. And the other one's like, well, I just gave some books to some children trying to, you know, <laughs> start this new initiative of peace and love. And what I found is the government's a very sophisticated organization mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, come as you are for whatever reason, but we'll create every avenue, every department that you could see that uh, desire or that mission or that values inside of you. And you can join this organization and see it forward. So whether you're like, I'll never kill. I'm not that type of person. They're like, okay, we have the Peace Corps for you. Congratulations. Join Mm -hmm. your sign here, sign there. And if you're like, I'm a soldier. I don't want to serve. I want to kill. They're like, congratulations. Welcome to the military. And if you're like, well, I'm a great debater and I like to talk things out and I think we could intellect. They're like, okay, welcome. Become a diplomat. And so they don't try to change you. They're Mm -hmm. just like, we'll deal with you the way you come and we'll take that desire and we'll make sure we use it for American interests. And I think it's a very good, sophisticated system. And it allows this to happen, meaning America is allowed to make multiple different moves from different perspectives. But net net, they have people who are genuinely built like that for whatever reason, a bringing lessons, you know, their own personal desires and motivations. And then it's, uh, you know, it's able to move the mission forward and fight for America's interests, whatever that may be. And so go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that's a you, you know this is a whole this is a very good lesson in in leadership and even just in communicating mm-hmm. in day to day life is that understanding people and being able to communicate in their language and adjust to their personality 
without changing them. That's it. You know, I read a book a long time ago. I read a book and I actually got the audio because it was too long and I wanted to walk with it. Yeah. It was a diplomacy by Henry Kissinger. And okay. And I got to learn about like you would be surprised that even during a war, you would have communications between these sides and everything. Mm-hmm. And you would think that it was like, no, it's everything's closed off. But you a lot of times hear enemies talk with each other. Soldiers talk with each other at times. Mm-hmm. And that was just the most mind-blowing thing. And so even in the business world, you, you know, we think probably, if, if you don't know, that all oh, these people are competitors in their companies and everything. These CEOs are never going to talk to each other. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys are friends. Of course, they want to win. They want to compete. But it's in their best interest for certain things to be on the same page so they yeah. can all win. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think about that with people and, go, you know, going back a lot of times, one of the big stressors with people that starts to affect their health is stress and just communication and dealing with people and their environment, wanting people to change, wanting people to do certain things, even it's not in them. You know, some people need a more aggressive talk and they feed off that, you know, I played sports. And so I, I'm okay with that. With, with somebody yelling at me or, or, you know, saying things to me, it's fine. Other people, maybe not so much. And, you know, you can call it love languages. You can call it whatever you want. You can use a bunch of different strengths finder tests and all these things. But learning how to deal with people and communicate and not expecting to, them to change, but just to be very adaptable is one of the best things that I, um, that I could recommend. And it's something that I still work on. So that thank you for that reminder right there. No problem. And I think you said uh, that that was one of the best things or qualities that I learned from being a leader. And I taught from many various leaders that I liked and I took a little bit from each one of them, what I liked and what I didn't like, you know, I kind of left. But net net, I remember I was serving at a post and CIA, CIA, excuse me, chief was just like, hey, come in my office real quick. And I'm like, "Okay, sit down, talk to him. We're sitting in the office. and He's like, you think you slick. I'm like, I'm like, oh, they found out. <laughs> but no, he was like, you think you slick. I'm like, dang, what is he talking about? Um, old, old guy, funny guy, I like him. And he's like, you think you slick. Let me show you something. And he brings out this board and he starts writing on it. And he's like, you know, I know what type of mind you have. And I was like, what you talking about, man? He's like, you think you slick. He's like, when you talk to me, I know you got different opinions, but you talk to me in a way where you don't bend to the point where we can't have communication. Mm. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, you don't break it. You just bend it slightly, but not good enough to kind of somebody can tell like, okay, you're an imposter. And he's like, you know, a lot about a lot of different things. You're a generalist and your mind works like this. Mm-hmm. And then he started drawing it on the board and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, a lot of people are just specialists, right? They just specialize in one thing. That's all they know. One track mind. It's okay. We need those people too. But then that he's like, with your type of mindset, you're able to have these conversations. You're able to move in these rooms that most people wouldn't be able to fold to because of, like I said, that specialization, right? Mm-hmm. The jack of the master of one trade versus the jack of all trades. 
And he's like, so you're able to move those pieces, move those specialists and, and kind of have them cooperate or not even cooperate, but just have a move towards your purpose and mission. He's like, and you think you slick and I don't know what you're doing. And then we were just having a conversation, but he was just joking, Lee saying this, but net net, he was just saying like, I kind of see that about you. And he's like, that's, I like that. Cause not a lot of people are like that. Mm-hmm. And my experience as a leader Everybody, you know, you just manage personalities most of the time. And you can't have the same tactic for everybody, you know. Uh, most people complain anyway. It's like, man, I'm tired of everybody being punished for one person's mistake. And then they become a leader and do the same thing. <laughs> so that, that, I knew it was like different methods for different type of people within, of course, my rank or within my platoon or detachment. And so I had to, you know, fit those personalities, be able to communicate with them on those bases. And then really care about where they're going in their future and their career. And then, you know, take an interest in that, put value into them. And then, of course, they put value into me and put value into the mission. And so most of my troops were just some of the top highest ranking troops because of the leadership that I had when I was in the position of authority. And the net net things I had to learn as a leader. Things I had to take L's, egg on my face. And the other guys was like, come on, man. Don't take that egg on your face. You know that the commander is wrong. And I'm like, no, it was my fault. And then I had to take the egg, right? No, it probably was the commander's fault, but I just had to reorganize where the energy was, where people's resentment was. And so you learn so much from the military if you're put in a position of leadership, especially, like I said, as a detachment, because now it's not so much gunslinging, it's diplomacy, mm-hmm. it's Department of State, it's NGOs. And so there's a professionalism and a different tact that comes from that and a sophistication that a lot of troops might not have and they won't be able to transfer over, right? And so net net, all those um, come together and help you be just a more powerful leader. And I would say a great person as an individual person And once you're able to unleash that talent for yourself and for your own productivity and for your own development, then it's, hey, it's at the ball game. Mm -hmm. You can do works. You can do wonders. So I always suggest if people in America, join the military now. I'm not a recruiter, but it comes with so many benefits that you wouldn't be able to believe if you see it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that that's a good segue into one of the last topics that I have here, and that's focus and brotherhood. And um, Mm -hmm. I noticed that that's something that you mention a lot of times in your videos and that you always recommend to men, especially is the brotherhood women, women do a pretty good job of forming their sisterhood and everything. Right. They do a great job. Yeah. In these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do. They do a great job. I even think about my mom and, 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 you know, having friends and people to talk to and everything after my dad passed. And whereas for me, I just, I just kept to myself and I'll just go, I'll just start running more, running for other lifting more, boxing more and all the, the all those good things. But eventually mm-hmm. I probably, um, you know, it was still led on to like, Hey, you know, you need some friends. I got friends, but maybe touch base with them a little more and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, um, just let, you know, for, I guess this is more of a male specific topic right here. Um, because like I said, the women do a great job already. So what, do you, <laughs> what do you think it, it is about brotherhood? That's, that's just so special. Well, you know, saying the truth, where do we begin? You know, mm-hmm. at the beginning of civilization. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but seriously, um, it is that. You know, brotherhood is civilization. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we build nations, whether we're working in sewers or in the infrastructure on the power lines, and whether we're engineering 
space rockets or whether we're engineering, like I said, you know, the plumbing underneath a city. Uh, the Brotherhood, you know, guards our nations, protects everybody. I mean, it, 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 currently across a lot of cultures, it's not really recognized and appreciated like that at all. And um, it's sad because I've seen firsthand of what brotherhood can do from people with different racial backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, all different types of differences that in a regular society at peacetime would be barriers of entry, would be conflict, would be revolution, civil war. But uh, the brotherhood has been something that's been able to stretch across gender lines, um, an institution even like enslavement stretch beyond that and start to create men's amongst human beings. And so brotherhood is very important for our civilization, but um, for an individual man that's watching this in the 20, you know, 2023, it is the vehicle. It is the person that understands what you're going through, the person that you confide to, your deepest and darkest secrets. It is not your girlfriend. It's not your dang wife. They don't go through the same problems as a male. Women have their own sisterhood where they have a girlfriend that knows more than a husband. And it's because that is her sister. That is who can understand her on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. You know, they love taking it there. Mm -hmm. But brothers, we're shallow with our friendship. We talk about sports. We talk about the weather. And that's about it. And we don't really have deep relationships. Friends I know that are very close to me, they can tell me anything. STDs, STIs, I won't make fun of them. This is grown man talking over here. My brothers is somebody that I could fight for, I die for, and it's somebody who I get resources with, not only survive with, but we thrive together. And that's who it is. That's who you hunt with. And guys really don't understand the importance of a brotherhood. They lack it. You understand? And this is why they're non-starters. That's why they're not successful. Women are showing you firsthand girl power. They're joint at the hip. They're helping each other into the corporate world. They're helping each other into investment sectors. They're helping each other regardless if the next woman has a crazy argument and has a crazy position. They're like, okay, girl, hold on now. Okay, I got your back. You know we together, but okay, calm down. But I still love you. So net that, our brotherhood is not that deep. We'll slice each other's throats. We'll stab each other's in the back. Mm -hmm. We'll do whatever. And that has not been men historically. Men have not been underneath their wives. They have been in the trenches with other men, fighting for nations for about seven years in the battlefield. You understand? Most of them never even procreated. Only 30% of men actually procreated on this planet. Most men were amongst men, surviving th and thriving. And so we're at this time where we can really bring a solid brotherhood back and it'd be beneficial for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, I, I agree on a, on a lot of that is that um, a lot of us are just out being quote unquote lone Born wolves. Yeah. Lone, lone wolves. <laughs> yeah. Lone wolves. Right? Lone wolves. Right. And um, you know, and, and you know, I, I see this and there's a connection to health as well. You see a lot of men that struggle with their health and a lot of that starts with not having the brotherhood because so their mind's not right. And so their mind's going to lead them astray. Their mind's going to lead them to um, maybe not exercising, not eating the right stuff, or just wasting their money on different vices and falling into all these numerous honey traps. And, you know, next yeah. thing they know, <laughs> you know, they have they have all these health problems and everything. And because, you know, mm -hmm. I always say that optimal health starts is an inside out job. And a lot of times our approach is outside in, but it's really inside out. So you, you think about 
you become that person inside, you, you embody that person, and then it starts to manifest and, and externalize. Mm -hmm. And and I think, uh, you know, one of the tools that I would actually help, you know, provide men or one, one of the things that they can use when dealing with men is agree to disagree and go to lunch. Mm -hmm. Not just agree to disagree, but agree to disagree and go to lunch. And the reason I add go to lunch is because people be like, oh, yeah, all right, we'll agree to disagree. And then they, you know, cut the corner and be like, man, no little sucker. And, you know, like da, 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 da. I'm talking about agree to disagree and go to lunch. Because what you're going to know is nobody agrees with you 100%. Everybody thinks different. There's so many neurons in your brain. It's ridiculous. And so a ridiculous assumption is to think that people would think like you or be wired like you. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. And so net, net, if you realize that, then you could deal with a lot of the conflict that even males might have amongst them and amongst each other. Right. And so that's why you see in my channel, I don't really bring people on. I don't debate, you know, I'm that's college level stuff. And most people are like, come on, cut it out. Let's have conversations, share information, the points we agree on. Let's focus on that and leave the points we don't agree on. Leave them alone. Mm -hmm. But all this intellectual back and forth and us arguing points and we think we're getting to a high intellectual level. We're not. We're wasting time. We're wasting life. Let's form the brotherhood. Let's work together. Because in the battlefield, we didn't have time to do stupid things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our problems, and I, I could even recognize this, that, you know, you see a lot of things in the world right now that, that we argue about for, for whatever reason. And a lot of that is just that it's, it's just so good. We just got time to, to think about these things, mm -hmm. to, to debate them. They're not like a lot of places do not have these issues because... They don't have time for them. There's mm -hmm. other there's other pertinent issues on the like agenda. Survival. Yeah, yeah, just survival or just you know, as they say, getting it out of the mud or you know, yeah. like literally having to. Um, and so I just think that that goes back kind of to circling as we get ready to kind of close this is that it's about perspective. You know, that was one of the one of the first lessons was about perspective, and this is a situation where it is perspective that um you can even look at read a bunch of biographies of quote unquote successful men in different arenas. You're always going to see that they had a, some form of a brotherhood. They might call it a mastermind. They have different names for it, but at the end of the day, intent for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brotherhood. It's a group of men with similar goals, similar aspirations. Um, maybe personal lives are going to be a little different, but at the end of the day though, they want a lot of the same things. And so one of the last things is um, to talk about just uh, health. And so how do you take care of yourself these days? Smoke, drink, coke. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Heck no. <laughs> so, you know, most of my life is scaling back, you know, to build the character in which I built or the person I am. It takes a lot of drive and a lot of pushing yourself over the edge. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I said this to you on the show or like on a conversation, but... A lot of, if you look into the actual male species, um, just any type of species, but just male, you'll see that it does a lot of things that will damage its life in order to mate with the women. Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know, a deer will build up antlers, right? Super big. The bigger they are, the better, right? The girl's going to be like, wow, he got the biggest antlers on deck. Uh -huh. But also on the back end of that, during the winter, if he doesn't get rid of it, then it will reduce his nutrients and kill him, Right. 
And so I, I want to get this bar right on the first time, because if you don't say it like this, then it ain't lit. You understand? <laughs> I got to make sure I you know, deliver it at the right pace and the right tone, right? Okay. But the weakness of a male is the facade of his strength. And the strength of a woman is the facade of her weakness. You got it? Uh-huh. You sure? Because you got the eye look where people don't really get it, but they're like, uh-huh, I'm tracking. So the facade or the you know weakness of the male is the facade of his strength. Like I told you, the facade of that antler being so big, it looks like he's strong. That's his weakness, though. Why? Because in the back end, it's going to be the thing that kills him. But the female strength is the facade of her weakness. Mm-hmm. So she's like, oh, I'm weak. I need a protective guy like that. And then so that's her strength. That's how she acquires the resource, right? Mm-hmm. And so I say that and I give you that example because same applies to me. The thing that made me a driven man, the makes that makes us product productive and providers and things that most men say they want to be regardless of whatever's happening in society. It's the same thing that will kill you. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from your kids. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from your family. It's the same thing that's going to drag you away from living your own life and experiencing a little piece of happiness on the back end. I know because I'm in Thailand with retired men that are 70 plus wishing that they retired when they were young like me, but they're about to die in 20 years. It gets real once you're in the last 20. Right. Mm-hmm. And so net net a part of health. It's understanding that you need to acquire resources. Don't let people downplay it and call it money and capital and money ain't everything. That's nonsense. Most people leave their families every day to go chase money. Money's very important, but I call it resources. Accumulate your resources. Get the financial literacy in order to be, ma- be able to maintain that estate and be able to actually live off of that. And then you put yourself in a position like me. Retired early, fire, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, you take care of your health. Me, I just got a full-blown checkup in Thailand. I'm talking blood, CT scans, x-rays, all the whole works, right? $400 for the whole entire thing, VIP treatment at one of the best hospitals out here. Four, 400 of them things, right? Doctors speak numerous languages, have all the you know devices and equipment. But just even the x-ray alone will cost me 400 in America. Mm-hmm. Right. But why? Doctor's like, is, is everything OK? Is your head hurting? Is your tummy ache? Why, why, why you want this? It's because this is my life. You tell me to invest on stocks and real estate. I did. Now I don't invest on my body. I'm dead. Stocks and real estate don't mean nothing to me no more. Right. And so my life really looks like taking care of my body. And every day that I live now, I balance that or balance my whole day around taking care of my body reject the beer reject the smokes reject the fried foods reject x y and z and nourish my body get the massages chill in the spa the wet spa jump in the pool go to the gym play tennis and this is the life of a retired male and if you want to join the brotherhood and want to be in the french alps Riding Porsches, as we still do the same thing, tracking through the Alps with uh, flap jackets and Kevlar's, screaming Marine Corps Catons with a bunch of men who are ready to take over the world and build their own empires and be respected as such, regardless if anybody gives it to them or not, then that's how you form that brotherhood. That's why you do it. And men never even had nothing like that. Average men, 
Oh my gosh, bro. I do I do regular stuff in my investment firm, right? This is a real estate investment firm, bro. This is just like posh, rich guys. You know what I'm saying? Like regular mm-hmm. life. I'm talking military talk. I'm like, CTV, we're going to go in the war room. We're going to figure out this and that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got so excited. These are older guys. Guys got families and everything and children. And I'm like, yo, let's go on a run down Tel Aviv Beach. And we're going to yell cadence. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And so people don't really realize, especially men, the power of a solid brotherhood and, and what kind of beast it can bring out of them. And so you need to hook up with the right people and you can make it happen. And that's a part of your health. Getting a brotherhood and taking care of your body is a part of your health. If you take care of your body and don't have a brotherhood, you're going to be out here talking about, should I eat the bullet? So you need the brotherhood. Mm. You need it. It's essential. Before Mm. the wife comes the brotherhood. Kings and generals build empires and protect them. Not you and your queen. Y'all just be cornered in a second and they'll just bring you out to the chopping block when the coup d'etat comes. You got to have generals that you can call up. You know what I'm saying? You got to call up your generals. Be like, dun, 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 dun. I need you here, man. This guy's trying to take my real estate. We're going to have to go to war with this guy. And net, net, or maybe even form a union. So net, net, you got to focus on that. And I think, like I said, the brotherhood and taking care of your body, getting checkups and taking your body serious. Because we do a lot of poison and give our bodies poison because it's an escape from our lives. Mm-hmm. And I did it too. Don't get me wrong. I was drinking. I I'm out here, you know, drunk like a skunk. But net net, once you come into this position, you're like, there's somebody like you want to drink, you want to smoke, you be like, I don't need that, bro. I'm winning. I don't need no detachment. My life is slamming. Right. I don't need no no drink, bro. What are you talking about? I'm lit. Tomorrow's gonna be lit. I'm waking up and we doing X, Y, and Z. Like every day is mine. I'm free. So it, it just allows you to push all that stuff away. And so that's how you really take care of your life in the back end. Mm, mm. I hope people go back and rewind that and, you know, and, and really let that yeah, marinate. I was, to, I was trying to go off a little bit. Yeah. Let, let that marinate in. And so, um, you know, you mentioned resources and this, um, what do you think is the best vehicle for those res- to, for those resources? Real estate, man. And I, I remember I got a, I got it from stocks. Mm-hmm. So I should be pimping stocks. Right. Mm-hmm. But for stocks, I had to pay dollar for dollar. I had to like I couldn't go to Nike and be like, "Yo, let me get a hundred stocks and I'll buy one." That's you know, like they're gonna be like, "No." But with real estate, I can say, you know, give me a hundred thousand dollars, I give you twenty grand, right? And then I'll just make sure the real estate produces income. I'm not talking about just regular. I'm talking about rental property, real estate, house hacking. You do that. It don't matter if you work at Subway or if you work in high tech. I can get you to outperform a guy in high tech just like that. Even working at Subway. Five years, you'd be like that guy in high tech and he's still broke with no net worth. But the guy I work at Subway that listens and does this path on traditional proven statistic millionaire creators like real estate that are broke without no education, that's the vehicle. Because, like I said, the bank is always ready to give you money for real estate. Can't create it. But uh, you know, let's see. Let me let me be a um, what, what do they call it? A, yeah, yeah, devil's advocate. Yeah, devil's advocate. Right. What about the uh, what about the rates? I rebuke right the now? devil. 
<laughs> what about what about the rates going up right now? You know, should not be worried about that. And uh, you know, uh, economy's crashing, uh, recession's coming, all this doom and gloom stuff right there. What about that? So we living on the streets. <laughs> you feel me? So we gonna yeah. live on the streets, huh? We not living on the streets. That's people's most biggest fear is being homeless. Okay, <laughs> that that biggest people's biggest fear is being homeless. And so that that they got a good buffer. But that's why you move into assets that are affordable, like, you know, even mobile home park investment, right? Like, I'm not in the asset as of now, but that is an economic resistant asset, an industrial. These are two economic resistant investments. And the same thing, Class C multifamily is more economic resistant. So if economic downturn comes, people downgrade their accommodations. So maybe the high end, you know, Austin, downtown, you know, dog park and all that nonsense might get, you know, I got to leave, but they're going to be moving down to more C-class property. They're going to be moving down to the trailer park. They're going to be moving down to the, and then that's where it comes from. And industrial is always pumping, regardless if it's a pandemic or war. It's because the productions of like the nation is all, you know, housed and industrial. So, and plus the statistics are there proven. And so, yeah, there might be a high rate, but again, that's why you look for seller financing. Mm -hmm. And so those deals, the bank doesn't give you the rate, it's the seller. And you agree to a rate that is beneficial for you and him. And so there's so many strategies to kind of, you know, avoid the traditional form of financing, but also to create your own situation. And of course, you could always borrow other people's money. And so it's harder for you to go to the bank and say, hey, I'm going to open up a burger joint. And they'll be like, yeah, we'll call you back. And they're not going to call you back. But somebody can be on the phone and be like, hey, I want to buy this property. And the bank's going to finance it more likely within 24 hours. They'll give you an approval letter. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets an approval letter of approving a business idea within 24 hours. No, 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 you won't. <laughs> it's a secured asset and they could resell it and get there and recover their money. It's basic economics. And so on that note, uh, yes, the rates might be high, but this is where you become a beast. This is where you go find the off-market deal. This is where you go find the seller financing deal. And so once again, the goodest part about this real estate is it never has an external outlayer, meaning a boss that could say, no, you're not going to get the promotion. It all depends on you. So depending on how much your grind and your hustle is and your creativity, you can find the best deal for you. Because Americans are extremely ignorant around real estate, unfortunately. And so you can buy property and strike fair deals and save Americans and help them out in, you know, tight situations where they're going to foreclose and end up, you know, being able to take over their mortgage payments and then make it a performing asset. And so there's many social works that you can do and versus also making resources and capital for yourself. And so I say that that's the best way if somebody was just most people would want to make money and also help. They don't want to be a douche. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, real estate does that stocks, not necessarily because you'd be like, well, I own shares of this company, which is Apple. Like, eh, OK. But if you're like, yo, I bought this complex, I bought the single family. Somebody was going to lose it. I got them out of it. I took over. They didn't have a foreclosure. Their credit is good. So you're, you're fixing and solving people's and doing things for the community. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you could literally change a block. And so net net, you have the power to do that. I had some properties and during the pandemic, I gave people 30% off on their rent for six months. I didn't need Joe Biden. I didn't need Trump. I could just do it myself because I own property. 
So you could be your own advocate and you could be your own social warrior and make good money. I was like, all right, I could take a hit on the profits. I don't need that much as long as I'm in the, you know, as long as I'm breaking even and let these renters that's been good to me, nobody just got it. People who were with me long enough, like already did a year in the lease, they got Mm -hmm. the privilege. Mm. Cause they paid me, they paid me the whole month, or, you know, the whole year. They never missed a payment and they stayed with me. So I'm gonna look out for you. So, um, what are some, you know, your channel is besides mm-hmm. your channel and, um, and where you can get more of this in detail. What are some, just some like one or two resources they can just do right now? Yeah. Bigger pockets. Bigger pockets, bigger pockets. <laughs> so it's just called bigger pockets. You can mm-hmm. put it in Google. It's one of the largest social networking platforms of real estate investors and also real estate related industries and, and professionals. And so it's been a, it's a great camp. It has massive books, resources. It has massive amounts of people, whether it be lenders, real estate agents, and meetup groups. And so all the information's there. That would be like, you know. Go to LinkedIn for things job related. So, saying go to bigger pockets, it would be you know real estate related, and so you would want to go there. That's where you find like minded people, and so deal with that and find the people you want in there. Don't try to go and get your mama, your auntie, your big bro, and be like, yeah, let's do this real estate deal. No, they not there. Go to people that are bigger pockets, like minded individuals, because they're already where you are. Mm-hmm. You ain't got to come, you know, try to drag them there. Like, come on, bro, you don't see the vision. You don't see if we buy this fourplex. He like, bro. No, he don't. See it. <laughs> so, as part of the brother, as part of the brotherhood, anyway. That's the real yeah. estate brotherhood. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So bigger <laughs> pockets, and then of course my channel obstacles, the opportunity, and uh, like I said, we don't always talk about also increasing uh, your investments. A lot of people have issues with their state as it is, and they're not able to alter their state now, so they you know lose twenty percent to the government paying taxes, maybe mm-hmm. greater. Uh, they, they have high expenses. They pay for a high accommodation, rent or mortgage. And so we look not only at the gains, but we look at the expenses and we reduce the expenses and increase the gain, what we will call in real estate, increasing your net operating income. And so if you're able to do that, then you have a more holistic approach towards your financial empire and you can get everything in order, but people will fight all day for a 10% raise, but they're leaving 30 25% to the government, which they don't have to do. And so via the real estate and talking to a CPA, I'm not going to say, I'm not a CPA, but net net, there are ways to go about it. And so I just try to help people and get them to see the whole picture, the macro instead of the micro, and they can make dough. Fantastic. And you you, you pretty much answered my um, last question is where can listeners, viewers uh, keep up with you? I will, I will share the, I'll have your YouTube link in there. It's just obstacles to opportunities, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Obstacles to opportunity. Okay. And so I'll have that in the link in case you're running, walking, driving, whatever you're doing right now. But if you're on YouTube, it's easy. Click it and go ahead and uh, head over there and check it out. It's fantastic information. Sean, this has been a enjoyable, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for gracing me with your, with your uh, presence. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Thanks to everybody watching. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm humbled and simplified. Dallas, always faithful. Got you. All right, listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless, and as always, go be the CEO of your health and your life. Peace.